Yeah, I'll just, you know, I'll just, I've found, so A, I've found, like, um, not having a script, like, helps. Yeah. Because I spend, like, way too much time, like, looking at the script and being like, what should I ask next? And then also, I feel like we kind of work our way into it as Mm -hmm. well. It starts off kind of awkward, but then we start having fun later on. I'm into that. Sweet. Okay, well, I just might need, like, at least one more beverage. (laughs) But then I think I'm good. (laughs) Hi, welcome to Doing the Thing. This is the podcast about how and why people create... And we are doing an impromptu in-person interview with none other than Ben Hurtman, composer, recording artist, uh, teacher, singer, guitarist, uh, microtonalist, among many other things. Say hi, Ben. Hey, Eric. Thanks for having me. This is fun. We're we're on my porch in North Carolina. You might hear a, a rooster or a dog or two. Yeah, some dogs closer than others. Um, little Herschel has been running around and 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 yelling at me because I'm strange. Uh, and new, and I smell like cats and babies. Um, yeah, so we, uh, uh, I was down here in North Carolina visiting Ben. We decided to set up um, some microphones and chat a little bit about life and uh, music and art and how and why we do things. So Ben, just as a reminder of how we, we work, um, I do sort of like, um, you know, who, what, where, when, how, and why type questions. Um, so I'll start off with the with the the usual uh, 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 introduction here. So who are you and what do you do? How do you describe yourself? Yeah, um, I am a musician and a composer uh, primarily. So mostly what I focus on is writing music. And then I also teach and perform music. And so I um, have yeah, been writing for a lot of different kinds of uh, things over the years. So I have kind of a mix between writing albums um, that are more kind of pop or experimental rock, and that involves me writing lyrics. And then I also do um, compositions with notated scores and work with uh, people who play the notes far away. And um, yeah, so I've been kind of I on like a that. long people who play the notes far away, <laughs> which is a very yeah. apt description of what a classical composer does. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, in a way, yeah, it can be. I mean, sometimes you work right with people, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, I sometimes I think about the, the dots on paper being sort of like this, you know, missive, like it's a it's an epistle that you are sending off in the in the post and someone's seeing these notes and they're like, oh, OK, let me try to recreate that from over here. Yeah. And whereas the recording obviously is kind of, I don't maybe not opposite, but the recording is immediate and. It's almost like two different art forms or something. It's like the recording is we're making a sculpture in sound in the moment where, when and where you're doing it. Whereas like if you're sending off a score, it's exactly like you say. Like it travels through space and time to be <laughs> done someplace else. And sometimes, I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but um, occasionally I've had like a piece where I've written and then just not heard the premiere for like a couple of years. And it's oh, yeah. really weird to be like, that's where I was at that particular time. Right. I don't know if you've yeah. had that experience. Oh, definitely. Yeah. So, um, where are you from? I'm from Byron, Illinois. Shout out to B-Town. Um, 
Byron is uh, right by Rockford, Illinois. And if you've never heard of Rockford, Illinois, then you have heard of Chicago, which is a couple hours away. So I grew up kind of right on the Wisconsin border, flat cornfields, um, detasseling corn, making bicycle ramps, building forts, um, small town fun. We used to refer to it as where it's, <laughs> you just sort of make make something up, build something, um, make your own fun. So That's lots great. of lots of fond memories of of old Byron. Um, yeah. And how did you and I meet? Well, um, we we went to college together and uh, undergrad, and we both were in the same year, and we lived in the same freshman dorm, and we were both music composition people. So I believe we've known each other for half our lives. Yeah. Probably pretty exactly this year. I would yeah, say. Yeah, actually, yeah. If we're getting to that age where we can we can say stuff is like a decade or two decades ago. And we weren't like babies or little kids. <laughs> you yeah. say stuff like that, which is very alarming to me. I um, remember that our freshman dorm had a um, like a grand piano, which now just seems like so amazing. Yeah. There was like a lounge, um, you know. Otherwise, it's like a, a college dorm. But there was this like kind of fancy lounge with a little baby grand piano. I remember that um, like fondly that people would just kind of be down there by themselves playing grand piano like in the college dorm which just seems so cool yeah so i remember i bring that up because i remember you kind of fiddling around down there one time and i stopped in it's one of the first times we chatted i think and i was going to see radiohead with my dad they had just come out with hail to the thief so it's like a really long time ago <laughs> yeah <laughs> um and yeah anyway i remember i remember just like you know kind of walking into the dorm room and somebody would be playing like musical theater or billy joel or something in there and that's kind of cool i wish everybody could have a grand piano yeah i remember i remember being down there a lot and i also remember our mutual friend john being yes. down there a lot playing and singing yes he was down there a lot too and then so after after illinois wesleyan university we then moved up to chicago because you went to northwestern to get your doctorate and i went to roosevelt university to get my master's degree so we were roommates for like three years three years in yeah. chicago yeah so then we then we got closer then and um yeah i started northwestern in 2007 and i um finished in 2013 good times good memories and how long have you been in north carolina now Since i've been in nc for about the same amount of time as in chicago so i was in chicago for seven years and i've been down here for about seven years That's since crazy. 2014 yeah yeah again with the age thing it's it's also in sort of a weird it's it still feels to me to a certain extent like oh you just moved down here same here yeah, yeah. it feels that way to me too because the spending your 20s in the city like that feels like my whole life and this is like um a new start in a, in a new place but of course there, there are cultural differences and stuff too yeah. being from you know being from small town illinois it's it's kind of fun that um, so now I live here, this is Mars Hill, North Carolina, which is, um, just 20 minutes outside of Asheville. Um, and so it's kind of in the country, but close by to a sort of quirky, um, medium-ish city. And, um, I was going to say that, you know, maybe in some way Byron, Illinois, like being in the middle of nowhere was kind of a, like, equally similar to Chicago because, and, and to here because chicago like it was illinois and there there is some like mindset and 
way of life stuff that's in common in northern Illinois between the big city and the country. But then, of course, like the, there's there's some things in common here, too, with coming back to a small town. Yeah. So the south is really different. But um, there are some there there's it'd be fun to kind of think about what some similarities are, because Asheville is kind of known as a like a, a place for weirdos and, and strange uh music and stuff like that and that does remind me of the people i grew up with too who liked weird music and dressing weird and hanging out and making weird sounds which is great even though you were from like a small town where we traditionally not think of of people being kind of weird and hippie-ish we weren't hippies but we were weird and i feel like (laughs) i remember meeting someone one time who was like oh you're from like illinois like chicago yeah there's like a lot of weirdos there and i took that as a point of pride that's great. Okay, um, that's good. <laughs> Chicago weird. Um, well, one of the things I I wanted to talk about. So, to this is our our third episode. So, I feel like I have to give like a little bit of intro to like how and and why we do the things we do here at at the Doing the Thing podcast. Um, which is which is I try to ask questions that I'm genuinely curious about because I feel like we can really you know you you are a composer and we have extremely similar backgrounds and coming from know rural-ish Illinois and going to the same schools and going through very similar um, educational arcs Um, but at the same time like a lot of how we approach making music and making art is very different Mm -hmm. Um, and I just think that there's uh, within disciplines there can be a lot that we can learn from each other and also across disciplines so Mm -hmm. I've talked to a poet already and in the future I'm going to be talking to I don't know board game designers and brewers and, and, and whoever else so some it. of the stuff I want to really focus in on is, um, you know, for me as a classical composer, I have done a lot of stuff where it's like these sound missives where I write people a letter, in this case a PDF, and sometime in the future they will they will perform it. I have hardly done any sort of like recorded music, um, albums and, and stuff like that. And I finally have this cool microphone, courtesy of Ben Hurtman. Who, who, who recommended this microphone and, and this setup to me to do the podcast. And so I've got this stuff now, um, and one of the things that really strikes me about doing more recorded music is that, you know, it, it seems to me you can start off very simply. Laptop, interface, microphone, mm-hmm. audacity, or something like that. Mm-hmm. But then, like, what do you decide, decide to record? Because technically, I could do, like, almost literally anything that I mm-hmm. wanted to, um, you know, I could take take the laptop, take the microphone anywhere, record anything, play pots and pans in my apartment. Like, I'm used to, um, from a classical perspective, somebody coming to me and being like, write a string quartet, you've only got these four instruments and these four specific people in our string quartet, mm-hmm. and it can only be so long. And something about those strictures to me is really, um, I find that really... Uh, liberating. I find it really interesting to, to, to start from a minimal place mm-hmm, and seeing how far we can stretch that. Where yeah. it seems to me like recorded music is like you can really honestly do whatever you want. And then how you. So, how do you. Here's a question. You've got a number of albums out. How do you decide, you know, to write what you, what you write and record what you record? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I, I, I hear you on it being kind of almost opposite. Um, to the uh, the assigned piece of music that has specific people, I do like that too. But I, I agree with you that it's kind of opposite. 
wow, how, how do I decide what to do that? I think I, I fight that every day, but, um, it comes from like, in my case, I think, uh, you know, we're all kind of wired differently. And my wiring is such that ideas are not in short supply. So I can sit around out here on the porch with you and, and, you know, drink coffee and write down ideas for eight years worth of albums. <laughs> I mean, I'm exaggerating, but uh, like coming up with stuff to do is not hard for me. But like you said, I mean, they're inherent in that is which thing am I going to do? Right. And that, I mean, I don't know if I really have an answer, but I do think that um, like the uh, like the, the string quartet model that you bring up of having specific people and instruments, often I do end up trying to, you know, gear a project toward um, its own limits by finding either who or what is, is involved and narrowing it down on purpose because yeah. of the very thing you bring up. Um, and so I think like, so for the, my last album um, that we made during the pandemic, um, Emily Honeycutt and I, she plays cello and sings and I wrote music and played uh, a bunch of instruments and sang. I played bowed psaltery and t pedal steel guitar, um, slide guitar, fretless guitar, um, and a chord zither and another type of zither. So like we had, we had the two people, which was a limit, um, and I chose that on purpose because in a lot of cases, like you bring up, you know, I could have five layers of vocals in this album. I, I chose not to, and I, you know, was kind of running up against that limit um, on purpose. Like, so I sort of created these limits and then it also, I wanted it to have lyrics. It's called Visitors um, and it's about, the lyrics are about animal, like specific animal visits that I've had, like just lucky moments of running into a, a a moth or a seal um and there's one imaginary uh animal from that uh that's on there too called a pard which we could come back to but that's um <laughs> it's a medieval of uh, legendary uh, animal that doesn't exist but that's there, great. <laughs> but it had like these limits and i feel like i mean it, you almost like uh have captured one of the chief um I don't want to say struggles, but, you know, challenges of, of making music on your own with a bunch of microphones and instruments by just bringing up that, like, how do you choose how to limit that and, and do you limit it? So in this case, yeah. like, we really, I limited it, even though that's a lot of instruments, it's a lot of specific instruments because this album uses um, just intonation tunings that involves, um, in total, 78 different notes which is about six and a half times the normal amount of right. notes they don't all happen at once that would be really different but um so i had like all these kinds of like um limits to it that had to do with instruments there's only going to be two of us and in this case i wanted to make it so that we could do it live and a lot of my albums are um not limited by that in right. fact i often run into i have a band called kong must dead um and yeah, I got that right. The grammar is such that it's Kong must dead. Um, <laughs> the story on that is that I There'll saw be a link in the show description, folks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I, my friends that play in that band, I've often just, I've seen them describe it as it's like Kong must die, but just not said correctly. It's Kong <laughs> must dead. So I saw it written on a bridge somewhere. And I thought that that would probably not already be taken. That's um, good. <laughs> so, 
anyway, with that band, um, the we do play live, but the albums are such that I do have, you know, eight layers of vocals and a bunch of processed stuff, and yet it's still kind of based around rock instruments. So it has to basically be rearranged to be performed live, mm. which I really enjoy. But um, in the case of Visitors, the most recent thing, I had like, we're going to make this album, but I want, you know, every note has to be played while we're singing. So I can't make the cello part too hard because she's going to sing and play this live, which we, which we have done. um, Not in, not all the way through yet, but we've played about five of the seven songs. Well, still, I mean, knowing the, um, knowing that the pitch content, which we'll, we'll, we'll talk about because I'm also mystified by that. um, The, knowing the, the pitch content, that, seems like that would be really difficult to do so the fact that you have that you have done that much live with the instruments and and singing at the same time is really um outstanding to me because i can barely like i can barely like talk and play like triads on piano or something like that so that is also very mystifying pretty challenging actually (laughs) yeah no i yeah it is it is hard and we um uh yeah it was again though um i mean one of the beauties of this project was it being written like you said, writing for a string quartet, knowing the exact people and yeah. know, knowing them personally. And I'm just very lucky that I had a buddy um, to, you know, spend the pandemic with who not only was down to play microtones, but we could actually try this stuff out. Because yeah. if they were dots on paper, which they are, I did put the dots on paper and that took a while. But it in this case, it's more, um, it wasn't written collaboratively and it wasn't, improvised but it was tried out so you know as a as a musician and composer how how useful that can be there's like a middle step where some often as composers and i have nothing against this process it's just it's like like you said there's delays and it's like an interesting um thing to where sometimes you don't get to hear the music until it's like the day before yeah and again that can be fine we know it we learn as composers like how to basically you know safeguard that um but i find it like especially with some more experimental pitch work and stuff um yeah we just needed to try sections of it and when they didn't work i could make them longer and stuff so can you can i can i ask you um just to 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 clarify you pretty much write all your own lyrics right yeah i do i do write my own lyrics it's interesting how that like so you're coming from a classical perspective and like the idea of writing not only but like you, the saying it that way is just isn't it interesting how it's like not assumed in the classical world right. that you would write lyrics um but in most other realms I feel like if you're singing lyrics unless you're in musical theater or opera or something you're probably you probably wrote the lyrics. It's assumed that if you're performing a song, like it's your lyrics that you that you wrote. Yeah, maybe yeah. not. I mean, I, I assume that about pop and rock artists, but it it certainly doesn't have to be. There's a lot of ghost writing and that kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, I did write. I did recently um, listen to a documentary on on some streaming service or something, where it was about Swedish composers of pop music. Right. For some reason, there's sort of like a primary export of Sweden right now is producers who ghostwrite songs for totally you know, pink and and um whatever there's another a legacy or over yeah. there from from at least the 70s and 80s if not before you know abba and um stereo lab i think is from there anyway yeah but yeah. i think it's safe to assume that you are not 
uh, importing Swedish songwriters to no, work but on that your would Justin be Tomation fun. Album. Yeah, that would <laughs> okay. be fun. It's not, I, it's not counted out. No, but it's, a, it's actually a really interesting question because I um, so it is kind of um, it is a decision that I made like sometime in grad school, um, and I mean it's not a hard rule, but um, I. You know, there's so Eric and I have been around a lot of kinds of music, and you know, just like everybody has, but we've been in a lot of concerts with vastly different styles. You know, something really experimental, something um, more traditional, etc. And there, um, lyric text in in classical music and contemporary music, um, it can be anything, but mm-hmm. it is interesting that it's it's pretty rare for it to be. Um, original lyrics and so I just I mean over the years I've tried to kind of break down my prejudice not prejudices my biases and and then you you know you find which parts of your taste are like you know you should question and which parts you want to feed and stuff so Mm -hmm. in my case I just found that when I heard somebody take a Robert Frost poem and do weird sounds on a clarinet while somebody sings an atonal melody with a Robert Frost poem, it's like, I kind of felt bad for, for Robert Frost. Like, and I know that sounds a little bit, it's a little bit of a jab, but it's like, is that what, I mean, how, like we, it's such a fascinating thing. The idea of setting text as a composer, because I wonder if there are other art forms that like, is there a movie where it's like a movie of a sculpture or something? I don't know. There's like, mm. I, cause I don't, I'm not saying it's stealing. I just think it's, it's like, why would you assume that a poem would work as lyrics? Yeah. That's basically by my, my issue. And of course it's been done well. And some, you know, like William Carlos Williams poetry is very lyrical and like, and I've, I'm, of course, I have counterexamples streaming through my mind right now of stuff <laughs> that I like. But I guess at just at the simplest level, I would see, like, you could open up your notebook and write a poem. And then on the next page, you could write lyrics, whether you have music in mind or not. And I don't think they're the same thing, you know? You don't think poetry and lyrics are the same thing? No. Okay. But I think they could be. Um, yeah. Of course, they have, like, there's a historical connection there too right probably like with ancient greek music where you know some of early music traditions came out of adding melody to poems yeah so yeah and that it wasn't really like composer and poet we've talked about this in the most in the the, this previous episode of this like composer and poet weren't necessarily like for presumably tens of thousands of years wasn't like the person who sang was the person who actually they were just singing poetry and they were just the same thing in, in yeah. whatever society or something. Yeah, maybe we'll give a we to can, do a little Hirsch break. We can just try to get Hirsch. Herschel. Herschel. Oh. You can sit over here Herschel's gonna be on a podcast. Yeah, say hi, Herschel. Actually, you don't want him to say hi. Um, it's, it's, <laughs> no, not that close to. He the has microphone. a soprano. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I I mean more than. Um, more than anything i i just i do find that interesting um as a as a as a preconception of like yeah that um that one would use lyrics that are a self-standing piece of art on their own and then import them into music um i can tell you so we, we did talk to a poet in the last episode and besides the thing about poets and composers being the same for 
for centuries. I think it is nice to work with living poets because yes. in many cases, of course, you get their permission to do it, and in many cases, they're just thrilled. I think it's right. one of the coolest things ever. That's a good point. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's that's definitely different than the frost example. Whereas, yeah, I mean, he's not here to to give his permission one way or another, and it's definitely highly possible to mangle or or otherwise um you know maim a, a, a bit of classic poetry um without you know people's permission because they're they're dead or it's public domain or something like that and i'm, I'm possibly probably guilty of that because i've sent said a lot of uh, public domain stuff um you'll be all right because it probably won't like make you a million dollars no offense yeah no <laughs> but or, or what about, dollars. so yeah would the poet i mean now I'm thinking about you and I want to hear this episode but it's like yeah. you and a poet sitting there talking about working on a on music and it's like wouldn't would have you collab have you or they collaborated on a new um text f- that's meant for a song like the idea of a poet writing lyrics sounds really exciting to me yeah. if they were to kind of do it that way on purpose yeah well we have done um the the stuff where we've done collaborations like that where it's like a, a new bit of poetry that I've solicited um, it's Rebecca Morgan Frank is the poet and she basically wrote you know a poem um, and um, I set it to music and, and we did like a remote recording during the, the quarantine I wouldn't say it was um, lyric specific it was it was a lovely poem um, but it was um, I'm trying to put this in a it's 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 a, a poem that's very much in her style right in very much a poetry type format not yeah. necessarily and it could absolutely stand on its own um but it was something that's that we you know it was uh, maybe the process was more kind of classical in the sense that i asked her hey will you write the poem she sent me a poem and then i set it to music but there she wasn't really knew that it was gonna be that's yeah, cool but she did know that it was she, gonna be something. i wonder if now we're i'm like you know trying to get the the podcast to be um, have the t- two podcasts speak to each other, but it's like, yeah, what would she, I wonder if she did um, do it differently because it's going to be set to music, like not yeah. not like it needs to rhyme or anything like that. But um, I mean, I do think like one of the one of the things that comes to my mind when I think about um, uh, setting poetry um, sometimes, you know, just we stretch out words when we sing them yeah and so sometimes what works as a poem as we read it out louder in our mind that takes let's say a couple minutes if you sang it it would take 20 minutes yeah um so that's like another kind of interesting yeah i don't know i love i love that idea um because the collab the collaborative element is really is really cool i for some reason i was kind of not remembering that um you could do it while talking about it and because yeah. I mostly think of we just there's so we have you know there's for for whatever reason like po- often um, songs that use a um, a poetic text are like the poem is usually like a h- hundred years older than the song you know what I'm yeah. talking about like mm-hmm. there's a history in the in like the 1900s of like you know Victorian poetry being set by modern composers I think that's it's cool that you're kind of debunking me on that i also like them existing in the same time there's something shared by just being we both are living through you know these years yeah that's cool and i yeah i mean i do i do feel i i have never and probably never will set somebody like byron 
because it's it's remote enough where it just doesn't quite speak to me. I've set older poetry, you know, like Renaissance and, and um, Baroque era poetry, but like something like Romantic era stuff doesn't really like, um, I don't know, it doesn't really speak to me. So I like where possible to set stuff as as modern as possible if it's like a public domain person. So Carl Sandburg, I love we mm-hmm. love we love our, our midwestern boy Carl Sandburg, oh, yeah. and then yeah, working with living poets of course because they like they're here with us. And to be clear, I do have to say that Morgan and I are working on projects where she will be like writing um, libretto type things. Ooh. But we've got little we've got irons in the fire. But this is very like very 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 early days to to start bragging about stuff like that. That's cool. And you know, in all honesty, you and I have have collaborated yeah. <laughs> with where I've written text for you as well. So mm-hmm. clearly. Um, yeah, I'm open to it. I think I think as we've talked about it, I've kind of uncovered that my it's the disconnect that that I sort of react to. Yeah. Like just someone who's far away in time. Yeah. Um, and now you're But that's cool too. You know, like people put a do a play with, with leather jackets on and it's supposed to be like <laughs> Yeah. I don't know. Julie Julius <laughs> Caesar, but people are driving but around. They have and, leather jackets, yeah. yeah. Hi folks, I wanted to jump into the middle of the episode here to ask you if you are enjoying the show to go ahead and leave a like or comment or subscription or basket full of stars on whatever uh, podcasting service you're listening to. Also, uh, if you want to hear more of Ben's work, head on over to ericmalmquist.com slash podcast where I'll have a post up with links to all of his many uh, bands and composition and recording projects. Thanks very much and back to the episode. Oh, and by the way, how about that sick arrangement that Ben made of the theme music? Let me ask you, so um, when you are, 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 you say you have eight years of ideas and you just have to whittle down like what kind of ideas you actually want to focus on and actually pursue, um, how does that fit in with the lyrics? Do you have like a notebook where you just have like a bunch of lyrics and eventually you go back or do you decide, I'm going to write this album about visitors, let's come up with some lyrics to fit the album. Mm. Like how does that process work? That's that's a hard one. That depends on the song, but sure. um, it's so. I think it, in very few cases I've written lyrics that didn't have a, a a song already to be attached to. I can't really think of any examples of that. Mm-hmm. Usually, um, they would be kind of hand in hand, like on the you know on the piano or something. There would be some words and some notes that were kind of swimming around together. Mm-hmm. Um, Usually, um, I like to I like to play around with sounds and words until I find some um, some wisp of something that is that to base it on, basically. Yeah. So, like you know, playing around and playing around, and then there's just like one line that actually can be. Uh, usually, that would have both words and uh, pitch, and then that would be what I could base it on. Yeah. Um, so. After that, then I would I would try to um, find like is there kind of a, a scheme to like a form basically to the to the words or to what happens in the song? Like I could give some different examples, but one of them on that album has um, a form where um, if you you know if you like make a star as a like on paper as you trace through the star you cross over some of the same points multiple times. And so as you do that, 
um, I, w I had the idea of like something like that with words and music where the form travels um, and traces the uh, shape of a star so when you get back to I hope people can kind of visualize what I'm talking about because so like you draw the star as you are continuing to draw it you cross back through other points that you've already drawn through and at those points I wanted the same lyric and the same melody to happen but in a different context cool so imagine yourself like in the second verse which is about something different but when you get back to this point you have to use the same words cool. and the same <laughs> notes and so yeah I, I really liked how you were saying um, like having these limits um, you know by by these limits shall you be free kind of a thing like um, because I feel like I am trying to I like those games and um, I think about them as games but they're like little challenges that are yeah. open-ended like is yeah. there a way to actually pull that off where it feels like we are in a new place but that um, I really liked the idea of repeating something small because usually we re repeat a whole chorus or something right. but to repeat like three words and a chord um, just struck me as an interesting like thing so that song's called Puigula plays in the mirrored morning and Puigula is a is the, a land-dwelling ancestor of the seal so I've always been fascinated by like the whole thing where like mammals went back they into went the back, ocean. Right. So that's I I got to see a seal. I thought it was a dog. Um, I thought it was like a puppy dog, and I was like, oh my god, this dog! It's out here in this freezing cold water. And then it like popped up and looked at me, and I was like, oh crap, it's a seal. That's amazing. <laughs> so. That's cool. So that so, one for some reason has this star form to it. I don't really know why there's a star, but. Um, that's the same song. I think that's a great way to construct. Now, I do have to, to interject and say, so that is um, your your duo with, with Emily is called Vine Signs, right? Yeah, so it's okay. always confusing because um, I've, I've had different... Um, I've had the same collaborators on, like, multiple projects. So um, Emily Honeycutt and I have a duo called Vine Signs, V-I-N-E-S-I-N-E-S. -E -E um, and... So that is we, but Visitors is by Ben Hurtman and Emily Honeycutt. It's the <laughs> hilarious stuff that musicians like make these lines in the sand that probably no one cares. Um, the distinction there is that Vine Signs is our collaborative improvised music. Right, okay. So we've yeah. made a few things where we... Um, and that, that project involves improvising lyrics live and on oh, the album. Cool. So okay. on our Vine Signs Colored Over album, all the lyrics that you hear are being you know they're improvised at the same time that we're improvising music which wow. is a whole nother like challenge yeah um but yeah so that but it is just the same two people that one of the other differences is that visitors is notated and okay. microtonal and okay yeah. um so, so to circle back about just the lyrics thing because um i have tried to write a choir piece with my own lyrics and it turned out it's really Fine. hard. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's it it's just like a whole separate track. Right. And like when I when I engaged on it, and I talked to, to Morgan about this too. When I engaged on it, I thought, oh, you know, it's only so many words. This probably isn't going to take me all that long, and and it'll be great, right? And so I write this little poemy, lyricy type thing for this choir piece, and I'm like, oh, this is this is actually harder than I thought that this would be. It's yeah. only like twelve words, but it's mm, hard. I, yeah, I wonder if um, 
guess I'm, I, I was trying to, you know, make this distinction between poetry and lyrics, and I wonder if, um, I wonder if it's hard, like, I wonder if lyrics shouldn't be judged, like, you know, if, like, Bob Dylan's napkins, like, don't <laughs> look that great as poetry, but we know that they're great, or I know that right. they're great. So, like, I wonder if that, I wonder if that gets, if you're, like, judging it in, in, um, I wonder if it works orally and that's what you're going for and, and then maybe it's hard I'm... to see them written down because i don't know yeah. i mostly just go on about this because i've always been interested in in the like you know music doesn't have to have lyrics um and if it does um you know another another if you don't mind me bringing up like another distinction that that comes up with lyrics is like are the lyrics personal so i or not mm -hmm. and i teach this class right now um and i um, I had a bunch of fun at the beginning of the class, like doing these kind of ungraded surveys of the students. One of them was, is this music? And I played all this different stuff. Um, and I have like, um, you know, graphs of their answers, which is pretty fun. That's good. Um, and one of them is like, one of the questions was, does the, does the personality of the, of the creator of the music or their life story matter to you for your understanding mm. of the music and i was like shocked by the answer to that one and then along with that like if you write what was the answer to that one i what i i thought it would be more split yeah. um and then to be honest what i think people so i asked like what's the does the life story and the personality like i meant like does it matter who the like as you hear the music does it matter who the person is i think a lot of them interpreted that as like has this person done bad stuff? Oh, huh. like almost ninety percent of them kind of responded like, like, yeah, it matters to me because if they're like a horrible person, then I don't want to listen to music. And I'm like, okay, that's also interesting because you know one thinks of Wagner and like I'm gonna stop right there because I could listen <laughs> other people, but um, but that's an interesting question too. But I think I meant it more like, no, like does does it like assuming they haven't done anything wrong um do you do you experience music and another question was kind of like this like do you experience music sort of um you know like projecting through the the singer and mm -hmm. basically the answer was yes like okay almost 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 entirely and i just found that strange because hummingbird oh cool I missed nice. it. Did it go yeah, away? We we had hundred hundred uh, cycles per second on the. Uh, um, we we talked about that too. Yeah, humming. It just went away. Oh shoot! You can hear the the pitch of the hummingbird was in that class as well. But anyway, oh, cool. I think um, I don't know. I think I would ask you like, so, um, you know, you hear a song, and are you experiencing that as um, like the speaker of a poem yeah. or as like the truth of the performer you know um it's different in classical music right yeah because I, I feel like uh, to it's it's kind of funny because to, to a very large extent even if i do listen to some pop music which i often do and we'll say pop music in a very broad like kind of like not classical yeah. not jazz kind of vein if I listen to, to, to something like that, um, more often than not, I'm just 0% paying attention to the lyrics. Interesting. Or I'm only, I'm like mishearing some lyrics, or I'm mm -hmm. only catching here and there. 
and um, I have to say a lot of it is about sort of the sound and the vibe mm-hmm. for me. Yeah. So and that can be for me that can be very cross genre and that can be um, very much with lyrics or without lyrics too, which is very funny considering I also set a lot of poetry and take that poetry seriously when I set it to music mm-hmm. and want it to be like understood. But that's not how I listen, which is very I don't know. I think that's that's a, another topic of discussion, like what what's your what are your listening habits and consuming habits versus your like composing and writing habits, which can often be quite different. Definitely. I remember there was a little little aside here. I remember there was a um there was a uh, an ensemble that came to Illinois Wesleyan University. I don't remember their name, but they were Austrian. They came and did a, a new music concert where they played kind of dense European modernisty kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a super cute clarinetist, and all oh, of us boy. composers like hung around afterwards to try and talk to the to the musicians, but especially the, the cute clarinetist or something. And I don't remember this. I remember we asked. I, I I remember. I remember the super cute clarinetist. Um, <laughs> I remember we we asked we asked her like, oh, what kind of music do you listen to like for fun? Like, what are you into? And we we expected you know it was going to be all this like you know thorny new music stuff. And she's like, oh yeah, I'm listening to this pop album, this pop album, and it like for in you know we were like 18 or 19 years old, and it like blew our minds to be like this this new music clarinetist who has all this classical training that is playing all this dense stuff. The stuff that she like consumes and listens to for fun yeah. is like completely different. Whereas at that time, we were just like listening to everything. We're super into all this like yeah. thorny stuff. It's, I know. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, I'm I'm totally interested in that too. I remember having a moment on the train when I was in grad school where I was so I'd take the train home and um, I just kind of realized that every day I spent the day um, with these you know very calculated and and like experimental sound ideas and then on the way home I would listen to Nick Drake or something and it's like wait don't I have to reconcile this and I feel like our there's almost like you're almost sort of um encouraged to like do both and they don't make so here's what I mean like we're we're kind of encouraged as a society and as as musicians to have a broad um you know amount of interest I think nowadays Mm -hmm. and yet at the same time there's this sort of unwritten rule as a creator in some arts that you're supposed to quote unquote find your style and so you're supposed to be uh, finding the the kind of music that you make in addition to getting good at making music you're supposed to find what that type of music is that you are supposed to do and then you know probably presumably reconcile you know, you're listening with that too. Like I've heard composers mm. say something like, well, yeah, I listen to a lot of like pop and rock, but that's completely separate from my, my, what I make. And, and I think that's totally fine. I just find it fascinating the difference where mm-hmm. for some people that's compartmentalized for some people, you know, like my moment on the train um, was more like, I felt like, oh wait, like I shouldn't be doing this. Not that I shouldn't be listening to the Nick Drake, but that I shouldn't be listening to the Nick Drake and not addressing that in my in my creative work. And, you know, maybe one of the nice things about getting older is I just don't care. Yeah. I mean, I really care about yeah. Nick Drake and I really care about experimental sound and i just don't care whether i'm supposed to deal with it or not you don't have to try and fold one into the other in your in your 
creative self or whatever that is. Or your creative yeah. self can be, you can have your creative self over here and then your your everyday self over there or whatever. The, or, yeah, or yeah. In, I think that's one way to go or just they coexist like we all do and just it doesn't, it just doesn't have yeah. to be quote unquote dealt with. Yeah. Like I do feel like there was one, one of my teachers, Lee Hyla, um, I remember him saying that as I, when I was a grad student, he's like, yeah, you know, Ben, when I was a grad student, I, um, I'm not going to do an impression of him, but he, this is what he <laughs> said, basically. He's like, when I was a grad student, I just remember thinking, like, grad students are the lowest form of life. Like, they're, they're just walk around the halls questioning everything and just re-questioning the questions about those things. And, you know, actually, like, it's it was funny to hear that from your teacher, but... Um, I actually think he meant it in kind of a charming way that, that like, it was kind of nice. I feel privileged that I had a time where my primary focus could be to, like, ask the questions. Yeah. One probably shouldn't stay there forever, but probably that's why I was feeling that thing with the Nick Drake. It's like, I have to ask this question. Like, yeah. I can't let this, I can't show up to the final exam without having thought about whether Nick Drake should affect my <laughs> sounds. Yeah. Um. I and correct me correct me if I'm wrong but I feel like um well I guess maybe you answered this with a with a coming up with 8 years of ideas. I feel like um, I exaggerated that. That's only 4 <laughs> years of ideas. Two and uh, a half years relative, of ideas. Relative to the I wonder if you relate to this or if, if your listeners do like uh, relative to the amount of time that I have to create them. Yeah. Um I feel like your your wife and I have have geeked out about like you know, life ideas that we want to do. And I mean, it, isn't it easier to like, you know, you could sit there with a cup of coffee and come up with a pretty good idea of something that would take you two years to do. That's yeah. what I mean. Yeah. You know? I mean, visitors took me a year and a half. Um, and I try not to do the math of what percentage of my life that is. It didn't take too long. Like that actually feels fast. I worked like yeah. eight or 12 hours a day, but because of the pandemic, the, right. I got to do that. But how do you yeah how do you figure out which thing to work on yeah it's 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 um personality wise and again correct me if i'm wrong it feels to me like are you are you constantly thinking about music and dreaming of music and and do you do you find like music making like fun when you sometimes just go and play guitars just for fun or or write a little song just for fun because for me um the reason why I've always been very impressed by by the amount of output that you do, and also when I see you, or if we're collecting, in the very rare occasions when like our little crew of composers that were in school together, like it's almost always been like you and Luke being like, let's jam, let's record something, let's let's put this thing together or something like that. Yeah, like we're and, doing right now. Like, well, yeah, actually, yeah. So, <laughs> um, I I have always found in myself like like, and maybe this is just sort of the model I work on as a as a composer i work a lot on commissions and if somebody doesn't ask me to write a thing um and especially if they uh, are paying me a little bit of money that's the time where i work on music and concentrate on that mm -hmm. like i've got a deadline i gotta get it out the door and then when i don't have a commission or something coming up i find it really difficult to actually go and make music yeah well i feel like there might be a couple i'll answer that in a question but yeah. in a second but i feel like there might be a couple things underlying that and one might be that in life do you feel like you have do you feel like you have enough 
it, that that implies mm. to me that that a commission or an opportunity to work with musicians is going to come around so you don't have to um you know not that it's yeah. easy but would you if you didn't have um anybody hitting you up for a couple of years you would find something to do i know you you did some things during the pandemic some pandemic things yeah. yeah that was good for me that was like that was like like psychic healing like a feeling Amen, like, like i, I could control something and create something which made me feel good and it was good experience to you know figure out how to use the microphones and edit stuff and um yeah, I guess that's. I'm not. I'm not completely useless. I guess. I guess part of my, um, my consternation is is partly just the time, and I think you know I'm having w- way less time now because I've got a little a little baby who's, yeah. who's growing all the time, and you don't have necessarily as much time as perhaps you'd like. Like we've we've talked about how much you're doing around here. Yeah. Well, so you're um, you're asking about. Uh, st- do you it's, like music, Ben? Yes, do you like I do. to play music, Ben? Yeah, because so <laughs> I don't. <laughs> it sounds like you're asking, like, do do you just do I just come up with stuff to do, um, and then yeah. and then dive into that at any time? And I, um, yeah, uh, still like once again, like the sort of thesis question of of which thing to do and how to work on it. It can be sort of uh, that's it's really difficult because. Um, everything takes so long um if you do it right or if you are willing to edit it i find that like one of my theories about um uh, being earlier on in your journey as a as an artist is like and i shouldn't speak for anybody else but that it's like i wasn't faster at making stuff when i was early on but i think i just I, i just did something and then it was done and I just, I think, um, partly I've gotten better at it because I'm willing to edit it. You have to be yeah. willing to, like, I think it's almost 90% editing. Yeah. Um, like, so the idea of, uh, and I, I really can't speak for anybody else because you could, you know, improvisation isn't 90% ele- editing. But, um, yeah, I, I do I do enjoy playing around. Basically, to answer your question, though, um, I I don't really sit around um, and play guitar for fun, and it's um, it's kind of like reading the newspaper. Like you got a subscription to a newspaper, and and you're gonna get around to reading that one of these days. Like I probably <laughs> should sit around and play guitar for fun, but I teach guitar, so I do that. Yeah. And actually, I find ways that you know the lesson is like actually really fun. So I've got hours of playing guitar with with my my uh, yeah my buddies and 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 doing that, but. But I do love to just play around, and I think um, the top, the um, project that if I have a project going, like I find the the edges of the sandbox there, and then I do love to just fiddle around. It it isn't just it's it's extremely rare that I would just play around and see what happens, though, because okay. it would take so long to. I'm never gonna go through all the voice memos that that would produce. I have like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just not gonna happen. I, a little anecdote: I get all these great little, um, little phrases from students over the years. Um, I had a student who's pretty young; they were maybe I don't know, fourteen, fifteen, or something, and they had just gotten started writing music. And we were looking at the notation together, and we were talking about you know changing something to a half note or something. The thing was like maybe six measures long, and he just turns and looks at me on the Zoom screen, and he goes this takes a really long time. 
<laughs> and I, I was just kind of like, you are so right. Like he, I think he was like, what? Like inherent in that, it felt like, why would you do this? Because it takes so long. And I just remember like, yeah. man, you got me. You got me with that. It really takes a long time. Um, so it has to. It has to kind of be fun, I guess. Mm. Or you have to be obsessive or something. <laughs> yeah. I, it takes, you know, I mean, it, um, anecdotally I've heard starting violin is really awful because you just, like, sound terrible for, like, like seven years or eight years or something like that. Oof. And I feel like, like, when, well, so I also teach young kids, um, high school age composers at the, at the youth orchestra in Chicago. And one of the things I try and tell them that I need to remind myself about is, you know, try and treat it like practicing. Exactly. Don't be like, I'm going to, I'm here in this class this week to write this masterwork that's mm-hmm. really important to me. Try to not take it super seriously and try and do a little bit every day. And that's what I should be doing as a composer myself. And I just don't quite get around to it. Just try and try and do a little bit of something every day. Yeah. Be okay with the weird couple of measures that we're yeah. staring at. Cause the, um, you know, there's sometimes there tends to be a, um, a habit of like apologizing and i've i've i i live with a um another midwest expat and <laughs> i've heard it said that the, that midwesterners are are want to apologize uh for things all the time um and i don't know if that's true but um with this with the students sometimes with the writing it's like we're just there like let's just play around and try something we try something and it's like i'm sorry like that wasn't good and it's like <laughs> I don't even, I, first off, it doesn't need to be good. And f- once again, like in my mind, I'm trying to like help them get to the point where they're going to be editing this stuff. Right. Like, um, yeah, that's, I, I wonder if how many of us have, um, you know, teaching a lot, I teach a lot of adult beginners too. And I think that there's, you know, it's, it can be hard. I think in life, if you're like, you've spent your whole life getting good at like, you know, cooking and software design and then like, it's it's hard Switching to like over, play yeah. the G chord wrong and like, you know, sounding I don't know. like like almost like a like a little kid or or akin yeah. to a little kid playing guitar or something like that, being up sort of the same level. I think that's a so one of, in these in these episodes. One of the things I talked about earlier is that I I really like trying to l- like learn and remind myself about the important concepts, and I think I just reminded myself for like I don't know the fourth time this year that I need to treat you know, music making, like, like practice, not go from, you know, practice what I preach with, with students. Don't try and go from like zero to masterpiece, but like mm. get to the point where you get something on the page and then you can massage that into, or in my case in the page, maybe in, in the, the, the editing software for you, mm. depending on, on what you're working on and like work on that and make the stuff that you already have better, not going from like zero to masterpiece. Yeah. Now I'm curious about with your um, with your podcast here, and if, if this will relate to other um, guests and other fields, because um, you bring up the the adage of um, just try to do a little bit every day, and I always hear people <laughs> tell me that, and sometimes I get frustrated um, because it's like maybe maybe you should do some every day. I have a a one a friend slash student who does yoga, and he talks about doing his guitar. Um, like he wants to do it in the way that he does yoga, which I think is awesome. So he wants to do guitar in this like sort of 
like as a practice, like you say, and do it every day and do it for an amount of time. And he compared it to meditation too. And I think that is great. But I also think it would be really weird if I went around to all 20 of my students and was like, you need to treat your guitar like yoga and you need to do it every day. So my thing is like, um, do you need to do it every day? Do you need to do a little bit every day? Why is that so assumed to be good? Maybe it comes from exercise, which is, that's good for you. That's like a scientific fact. Right. But is it because we're worried that we'll fall off the wagon and not play guitar for two years or something? Is that where that comes from? I can tell, at least for my experience, if, you know, if I, I, uh, especially, again, having a little baby, um, earlier this year I had instances where I would like have this one day where where Steph would be out with a baby going to a whatever a thing and so I had a like a three-hour chunk and I tried to put a bunch of work into that three-hour chunk and if it didn't work I got super frustrated yeah exactly and also um um as as you know at least in, in when I'm working with notated music type stuff I just forget if I don't if I don't get immersed in it right in at least a semi-regular fashion, I will literally forget what notes I have written down because that's what the writing down is for so that you don't have to remember everything. Mm. But then, like, trying to come back two weeks later Mm -hmm. and getting reacquainted with it just kind of feels weird. So if I have this more constant thread going, I feel I'm more familiar with my own piece and that makes progressing and and editing things down a little bit easier. Yeah. And I get get your general point, though, because it might not be based on time constraints, based on personality, um, uh, uh, access to resources and so forth, it might not be possible for everybody to do like, you know, like a yoga practice kind of thing. Um, uh, yeah, or th- that's that's my point, is yeah. that people might be, like, might work in different ways, and yeah. um, I think it'd be great to compose every day. Um, I remember when I was in grad school, I was writing like all the time I was just writing a a lot of hours and I I think I romanticize it now like life was stressful but I wrote music often and I remember hearing that one of my professors wrote from 7 to what was it 7 a.m. to 12 p.m. every day and then he taught every day after that so he like scheduled late classes and he would compose supposedly seven days a week from 7 to 12 and I remember just being mind blown because even though I was like spending countless hours, I was like the idea that he's both doing it every day and there's that many hours. And then now I've like been on just weird multiple sides of this because during the pandemic, I actually like, I was like, do I really want to write music for so many hours? And the answer was for me, like I actually did want to write for eight or nine hours. There's physical downsides to that. Yeah. Like you need to get some exercise and. I've always wished there were more ways to write music outside, and I'm, yeah. I'm still always trying to do that. Yeah. But um, I don't know. The the everyday thing was basically like I'm for me long hours like sounds great to write music, yeah. but the everyday thing was like that was the part that I'm like, oh my god, every day? Like how yeah. how? I think I'm just terrified of daily anything. Like I just can't commit. But um, one of the things that I would bring up about process that I'm interested from from you know your your realm here and and everybody else that's going to be on this like so one you bring up getting back into the work and i think that is one of the chief struggles and so for me like i find that i need the the hardest part probably is that i need 
a lot of hours in the chunk and maybe this is why I can't do it every day because if I get 45 minutes to write music that sounds like I might as well just go to the bathroom and like make coffee because 45 minutes is so meaningful in exercise and in a lot of other parts of life but like for writing music that just sounds laughable almost useless in in terms depending on what you're doing but I think other people can like I remember one a composer coming in and visiting our our group back in the day and being like yeah I wrote four measures today and that also just was like mind-blowing like both (laughs) seemed like kind of amazing and also just like not much but really kind of impressive that he traveled to like a school sat in a room by himself and wrote four measures like it's really like impressive do you remember that yeah that was Stephen Paulus right yeah yeah um by the way you got a daddy long legs on your left shoulder oh yeah it's cool big old fella there they're not even spiders all right um yeah, they're they're insects. The front two are are like feelers. Oh, so the, oh cool. The um, they, they have six know. legs and two feelers. I might be wrong. No, the I, internet might know better than me. But my just my tiny little little mind is blown because now I'm thinking of all these daddy long legs coming around and then just like touching stuff with their really long front legs. Mm-hmm. And and catching bugs with them and stuff. That's interesting. I'm I'm I may be wrong about that. No, I bet you're I bet you're right. I'm I just think that's it's just my little tiny little mind is blown. These little <laughs> like I'm doing folks here at home, I'm doing daddy long legs arms touching stuff on the on the table right now because it's just that's just astonishing to me. Um Ben, I could I could talk to you for many, many, many more hours. Um and I'm sure that we have like we didn't even get to talk all that much about just intonation, but we're probably oh, that's okay at a point where just go to just intonation um on wikipedia folks um let me ask you two two further questions yeah so your latest album visitors where can folks go and find and listen to that yeah thanks yeah it's only on Bandcamp, um but you can stream for free on Bandcamp if you don't want to buy it um you can listen all the way through um but you should and buy it. so it's benhurtman.bandcamp.com or you can search for my last name um and search on Bandcamp. so it's b-e-n-h-j-e-r-t-m-a-n-n dot bandcamp dot com yeah um yeah check it out if you want if um if anybody's curious they can um you know send me a message and i can explain some stuff or whatever and your other projects um kong must dead and vine signs are also on bandcamp as well yes and grant wallace band grant wallace um, band oh we didn't talk about grant wallace band either oh that's okay that's okay yeah, well, maybe we'll do be, a GWB specific episode. That would okay. be fun. We're going to be um, Grant Wallace Band is going to be performing in a couple weeks in Albuquerque. So if oh, you're cool. in Albuquerque, good. Come on down. Good. It's we'll feel epic after after you know eighteen yeah. months of separation and pandemic. Exactly. Um, that's great. And and folks, there'll be um, links to all of all of Ben's uh, projects. And the websites and so forth um, in the um, description of the episode, which will be on ericmalmquist.com slash podcast. That's where I put all the show notes and Ben's bio and stuff like that. Ben, a question that I ask folks um, is what would, if you had, if like money and education and location or whatever were no object, is there a profession or a calling besides what you're currently doing that you would love to do or at least love to try whoa that's an awesome question um you so yeah i don't have to worry about how much money it makes me or whether i okay so for instance Mm. i will let you think but my mine was in one in my first episode was 
um, archaeologist. And I would love to be the guy that would look at, because these, because um, places like the Oriental Institute in Chicago and, and, and um, various museums have just like stacks and stacks of ancient Mesopotamian clay tablets. Like they've got clay That's tablets awesome. that were dug up like a hundred years ago and nobody has bothered to, you know, translate them and stuff because there's just so many. Those folks wrote so much stuff down. So I would want to be the guy who sits there and just catalogs like beer receipts from ancient Uruk and stuff like that. And Definitely. I think that would be just some be of so the earliest cool. writing yeah. too, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I wonder if they can just snap some cell phone pics and like email you those, and you can give it like an armchair go. You know? <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah, they like, could probably tell them that. to yeah. crank out some pics, and you can just give it a try. Yeah. yeah. I think is the moral of this going to be that we all should do these things? Actually, um, that'd be great. I don't know. The only thing that came to mind is like I want to build um, like a like a weirdly architecturally designed um uh cabin type studio thing um and everyone's really into the tiny house and i'm like half into the tiny house because i like the efficiency and the design but i don't want it to be that small so is there something like a medium house (laughs) or like a small tiny in between tiny and medium um but yeah i think that's what i would do architecture um but I actually want to build it, and yeah. I want to do it right, and I want so I would want to um, really get in like the idea of of going to the neighbor's house too and and building them something. I think um, when I was really young, I I I created just as often, but I did it with my hands and with cool. with tools and hammers and rocks and stuff. And I I think um, composition was was the right thing for me but i also want to like build physical stuff so i'm all i'm gonna be building instruments someday cool and so i'm gonna do that but yeah i'd like to let's go with architect yeah weird architect like weird little houses that are like in a spiral or something sort of like action architect too where you design it and then you go out and actually do it yeah yeah i would want to be there for the the hammering and stuff otherwise like you're just well I don't know. Maybe it's like composer and performer. But cool, yeah. yeah. Thanks so much. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I look forward to... Um, I like that you have a question that goes goes to multiple... Uh, goes to everybody. Yeah, a little bit of commonality there. And I like that we have... Um, I like that we have... Um, that we talked about some stuff that... You know, I, I kind of like this sort of like daisy chaining along episodes where we try and like connect stuff mm-hmm. from episode to episode so i'm glad we kind of kind of brought in some of the poetry stuff too i might as well end this now right I think we're, cool I think we're thanks so much there. thank you very much ben hertman um thanks everybody uh stop here at Manx cold open Ben being like I might just need one one more beverage before I start oh yeah yeah if you got that